Hello and welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, director of the Columbus Community Kolot. And it's an honor and privilege to welcome all of you to our next episode featuring Ira Zlotowicz or Rev Yisrael Zlotowicz or, I don't know, the revolutionary real estate uh, entrepreneur. Zlotowitz. But in any event, it's a great honor and privilege to welcome all of you to this episode where we're going to be talking a lot business, a lot of personal stuff. Um, and of course, how do we not mention the incredible work that their family has brought to all Jews across the world? So this is going to hopefully be a really, really uh, exciting all over the place type of episode. Highly recommend you listen and share with your friends. Feel free to leave a uh, subscribe and leave a review, which are which is always very much appreciated. But before we go any further, allow me to tell you about our guest. Ira is a chief. We're going to redo this one. Who's devoted for his life and career to creating opportunities for people. Launching G Parency is no different. Being the youngest president of any top 10 mortgage businesses, as well as the founder of and driver of Eastern Union's 5 billion in yearly loans. Ira has worked with thousands over the years. He understands how more than ever and everything uh, they need equitable access to commercial real estate everywhere we will redo that ira reb yisrael welcome to kolot thank you very much for having me rabbi i will just call you one title rabbi no no it's hillel i by the way you should just know people um call me and if anyone in columbus is listening um don't take offense but I, you know, Rabbi, how are you? Rabbi, Rabbi, yeah, no, call me Rabbi Kabenstein, Rabbi K, Rabbi Hillel, Hillel, just not the plain old rabbi. It's like going to your doctor and saying, hey, doctor, hey, doc, or your attorney, uh, attorney, I mean, uh, you know, hey, Esquire, right? Just, you, could, you know, Rabbi K. But anyways, we really appreciate you coming on. You spoke on our program two years ago with the Parsha Buzz program, and you had such a good time. We went on for an hour and a half, maybe even two hours. I promise this is not going to go that long because I have Marv to catch soon anyways. But um, it's a really big schuss, a big privilege for us to see someone, to interview and sit down with someone like yourself who's done an incredible amount of work in the uh, in the real estate industry but also comes from a, a very strong Jewish heritage and and uh, a family that's done a lot for Torah. So having these two, as we would say, uh, to have these two things come to one, uh, come to just on one platform. Our name of our program is Kolot Voices. where We get to have different voices come on. So it's really a honor and a privilege. And thank you for coming. Thank you very much. You're way too kind. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll quote you on that. Um, tell us about yourself. You know, you're, you're a Brooklyn boy. I was born and bred in Brooklyn, New York. Bred and born Brooklyn, New York. Which which school? Yeshiva? Where where where, where did you go from? I started out in um, Torah Semis, Kamenetz. Kamenetz. And uh, my father, Zetzel, um, was in Camp Monk, and Rabbi Silverman's um, was in Camp, was a Rebbe in uh, Torah Semis. Had Rabbi had Rabbi Silverman as a Rebbe. Mm-hmm. And then I went in fifth grade. I moved over to Mary Yeshiva in Brooklyn. And then, for, that. and then for uh, 
high school and uh sift i went to yeshiva i went to long beach for ninth grade and then i i the rest of high school i went to uh yeshiva for Akra. yfr so you know you, you were just talking to rabbi teichman who's where uh uh uh, Rebbe Brown, who's a, I believe he's a Rebbe in, in uh, YFR, right? Very cool. Very cool. So how did a nice little Brooklyn boy going to all such nice, precious yeshivas end up in real estate? Commercial real estate, major yeah. commercial real estate. I'm not sure if you really understand, but uh, it's the opposite. It used to be that's where every precious yeshiva boy went to was real estate. <laughs> you know, started back in real estate because, you know, real estate once upon a time was a frowned upon business. You have to collect rents and you have to, but you didn't need an education. So someone was able to, linesman as they call them, was able to open up and go into business. Then, you know, weren't getting fired on Friday if they didn't, you know, didn't work on Chavez. So that's where it started. So it's really opposite the way from the introduction. Okay. What was your first job? My first job is the same job that I do today. I'd like to title it a trusted advisor and adv- advising on mortgages. The, the title is really called a commercial mortgage broker. So they're the same, same, same thing my whole career till today. You, did you go to school? For, for mortgages? I went yeah. to, no, I went to school to a school of hard knocks and uh, to the yeshiva system being brought up in my father's house and uh, just, you know, business. Not My father wasn't so much into business, but, you know, marketing and understanding that side of the, that side of the world. So no school, no college, no degree. That is uh, correct. Uh oh, I saw you like bend down a little bit. No, no, I wasn't embarrassed sure. or no, 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 no. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, like you told me, I'm not sure where the path is going, but yes, there. And I, uh, you know, it's a, the, the school of hard knocks. I went to, I got married young, I got married at 20. Um, mm-hmm. so young um, and dumb, yeah, young and dumb. I think a I, lot of shots. I, 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 I actually had a business idea that I, a business plan I wrote in high school, and um, I still one day plan on doing it. Yeah. Uh, my father didn't love the idea. That's when I was going to work. He says, well, why don't you try a friend of mine? You know, it's in real estate. You know? uh-huh. Those. Uh-huh. But um, that was it. So uh, I, was at, I, was at, I was, was interested in business. And um, when I, I decided to go and went into the commercial real estate space and loved it. Just there till today. So, the, the, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Why I think this is so important is because obviously I'm the director of a Kailal and we want people to come to a Kailal and learn as long as they can but it's as long as they can. And when they, their time is up, you know, and every family with their, you know, um, however long they could do or not do, whatever it is. But sometimes the hardest part of learning in Kylo is leaving Kylo. The, 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 the few months before and after, like, you know, where are you? You're not learning. So maybe your support is um, not there, but you're not necessarily making money so, you know, you're very, you know, you're kind of kind of caught in between. So can you talk to us a little bit? I know you train people. I know that you have a podcast, right? So if you could tell us a little bit about making that transition from learning to working and how people could really set themselves up for the most success. Okay. That's a very, uh, you know, broad, uh, question. So it's obviously definitely the toughest, the toughest transition. Um, I, I, you know, I missed my calling, not miss my calling. I, I didn't have the, the, the ability to have the calling and you know, I should have gone and become a Rebbe, you know, and I missed that. I couldn't, uh, you know, I say the joke and I say tongue in cheek, but I, I mean it more towards the reality. You know, art school started six months after I was born. 
like the joke is my father took one look at me and said, Oh my gosh, the next generation needs help. And there it is. Started. <laughs> so I try as much as I can to be able to give back. Uh, many of my siblings are in the chinuch and giving, and you know, principals and, and rabbim and teachers, etc. And my, from my mother's side, you know, her, her, her family started the first cheder uh, in Montreal. And I figured if I could give back, let me be able to teach people commercial real estate. They can learn a living. So I, most of the people that I hired in the mortgage business were straight out of coal. So I was able to give them some education classes while they were being a star. And then when they got a job, come here. And I, and I take, I take, you know, that's the, the ticket that I'd like to take with me is that I'd be able to teach as many people to make a parnasa. I was supposed to train people that closed over a trillion dollars worth of commercial real estate deals that went on to be some are worth nine figures, some making, you know, six to 10 million a year and where they currently are today. And, you know, that was the schluss that I, you know, that I was able to help them. So the transition is very tough. Um, someone once pointed out that America has been the top 1%. So it's this big number. 1% means you're earning about 200,000 plus a year. A, a, from family, they don't have any programs. They, had a, they have to go from zero to 1%. <laughs> so they, they had to go into businesses like commercial mortgages at that time, which allowed you the opportunity. It's not for everybody, but if you made it, you can make millions. If you made it, you can make hundreds of thousands. And that's why a lot of people went into the space. You didn't need that formal education. You know, David Lichtenstein gave real estate courses, and that's a big part that he pushes. Like, yeah. you know, if you win yeshiva and can you come with a chiddush on, you know, Bavakama, yeah, you still can. But think about how many people before you came with different chiddush and it's still unique. Take a piece of real estate, have an idea to turn it, rent the apartments this way. So someone could come with that creative mind and get into the real estate arena. And that's really where that transition comes. Yeah, you, you know, you beat me too. I was about to uh, mention David Lichtenstein, a friend, and um, who thankfully, David, I give you a shout out. Thank you for sending me uh, the latest headlines. I think I got the riddle right. So he sent me a free copy. But uh, so, yeah, he's, he's made this point before um, as well. The reason why I want to spend another minute or two on this is because um, Parnassa is probably one of the greatest stressors of life. Um, other than parenting, Parnassus, you know, and it occupies, if we were to think about how many hours of our lifetime is spent working just to make money, and when we say money, just to pay our bills and maybe have a little extra, um, it's, a, it's a lot of time. So what are some of the key or core values that you teach people? Because it sounds like they don't need four years for an undergrad and more for a master's. It sounds like, you know, you're, you're doing something like you said, being a star during lunch hour or, you know, dinner or the evenings, whatever. So what are some of those core values, work ethics and, and knowledge that you're trying to teach people? Like, you know, give us a little demo if you can. So to separate it, when I was time for the mortgage business, I was actually teaching them to be a mortgage broker, teaching them the specific skill. And I clearly, I believe that you don't need to go to college at all. I think it's a total waste of money unless you for a specific thing that requires it. Meaning if you want to become a doctor, you need licensing. So if you have to get licensed, you have no choice. But just I'm going to college for the sake of college, terrible mistake. Instead, you should go take courses, specific courses of things that interest you. Mm -hmm. Talk about Steve Jobs. He said that he was in school. He wanted to drop out. But because his parents paid for it, he felt bad. So he said, once I'm here anyway... He saw a course on calligraphy, and that's what taught him. Had that's why he says, "Well, the apple has nicer lettering in this, as opposed to like the block lettering you're still having everything else." You know, so wow. follow your passion. So my first advice to people is, don't follow the money, follow the passion. What do you? I call it GWC. Get it, want it, capable. I don't call it it's from EOS. That's a total thing. Get it, want it, capable. When you're looking for a job, you're hiring somebody. 
what do you get? What type of thing do you get? Talks to you, you get it. You want it. You want that thing. And you have the capacity to either do it or to learn how to do it. And most people don't focus on the W, what they want. They, they decide they want a job. No, I want that. I want that specific. So if, if management is what talks to you, get a job within management. If, if sales talks to you, get a job within sales. If, don't say, well, I, in management, there's billionaires. In management, there's sales is billionaires. There's poor salespeople. There's poor management people. There's everything in the middle. So go with that, number one. And then number two, the best advice that I could actually give someone that's starting out is that one is make God your partner. Chaymish, you know, from the day one. And that's what we can tell, tell Hashem. Is as I'm being successful, when I was struggling, I made him my partner. I'm a good, I'm a good, I'm a good uh, partner as, as I make more money. Loyal. 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 Yeah. And the second thing is, is that when you come into work, you, people don't understand this. There's only, there's a word that I teach to non-Jewish bankers and executives. It doesn't exist in the, in the non-Jewish language. It's called oil. O-Y-L. It doesn't just mean accountable. It doesn't mean I can rely on you. It's all encompassing. It's like probably 19 English words that sum up in the word oil. The people make the most money is position yourself that the person above you should rely on you. Everyone's replaceable. You want to make sure that you're replaced by someone making more than you. So it's cheaper for them to keep you and then move up the ladder that way. So it's not what you do. It's not who does the work. It's that, think about in your own life. You're on a colo. Yeah, that's one person you rely on. That person is disproportionately making more money than anyone else doing what they do. So I could have an assistant who somewhere else is worth $50,000 to me maybe worth 80000 just solely because... I could be on this. I could be on this podcast with you, and then have to prep for it, because the person just bottom line said, "Show up at this time." To someone else, doesn't delegate. So that person knew how can I go ahead and free up more of my boss's time, because in that time, hopefully, my boss can do other things to make money. The company's worth more. I could go with more. And if you look at anyone successful on the way up and way down, that's what it is. Think about a company. Why does the CEO make the most money? Because the CEO tells the exec, the, the 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 board, "I got this covered." The CEO doesn't work so hard. The dumb person at the bottom says, it's crazy. We do all the work. The CEO gets the credit. Yeah, the CEO is the one who, who, who makes sure that everything is running smooth and all the pieces are working and it keeps everything running. So you want to keep moving yourself up to figure out if I can't be a salesperson, how do I support the rainmaker? How does the rainmaker say, I can't survive without blank? In a colo system you have, you have donors. At the end of the day, the biggest donor has a certain thing they care about. You keep it. doesn't make sense. You want to cut expenses and, you, and everyone says, why don't you cut blank? And someone says, hey, but he wants it. You make a calculation. For that person's donation, it's worth to keep it. That's my advice. Get into a job and find someone that, you can rel- that relies on you. Free them up. They can do more and be that loyal person to them and help them grow. That is fascinating. It's almost like job security and insurance, job insurance. Yeah. You know, self, that's self-made. What it is. That's what it is. I love that. Okay, great. So let's talk about how did I know you were before G Parents, and we're going to get to G Parency, and we're going to actually get to we're going to get to Eastern Union too. But before we get to either of them, you said making God your partner. I know I don't know if you could repeat a story that you said um, to me a couple of years ago about someone who you said if you hit this amount, you got to split it fifty fifty with God, and what you know what happened from so, thereafter. So you know, I I was talking to somebody that you know a, a broker. And they were having a good year. They already, you know, going to the example, made God their 20% partner. And and I asked them once, I said, understand how much, and they're always into making deals, like, you know, that's whole life. Like everything, everything about this person is a little deal, you know? If I give you this, can you get this? With everybody. And they go to the grocery store, he figures out to make a deal, like wherever he goes. So I said, how much money do you think you're making this year? And he threw out a number. I said, I'm saying, why don't you make a deal with God? Every dollar above that, you think you may, no. Make every dollar above that, go 50-50. Thought about it, came back. Okay, done. That was like his best year, like $6 million. And I remember towards the end of the year, 
He's telling me, like, renewing the deal? I goes, no, I mean, what? I said, idiot, it worked. What are you doing? You know, so I'm the deal next to you, you know? Like the same. You know, that's that joke. This guy's driving to a meeting. I told this yeah. joke. Yeah. And I found the spot. God, forget it. I don't need it, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. That's, yeah. no, that's, uh, that's true. You know, I, I, I heard from a shadchan or an old a shadchan who used to be a shadchan. Uh, I uh, hope he doesn't mind me quoting him. Freddie Freeman, who was my shadchan, actually. He uh, he's got a you know he's got a sense of humor, and he once said, someone once asked him, Freddie, how much uh, how much do you want shadchanis? He said, I want half the amount that you would have paid before your son or daughter met that boy or girl, right? Whatever that number was, just give me half. <laughs> Right yeah, afterwards, yeah. oh, it's, you know, Hashem made the shidduch. You know, you were just a sheikh, which is true, which is right. true. But you know, there's still a car yeah, yeah. Someone says, unfortunately, the shidduch crisis is only until your kid gets off the market. Right? <laughs> Once someone gets kid gets married, I'm, I'm, there's no shidduch crisis anymore. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. No, I hear. Um, okay, wow. So you told us about making God your partner. Maybe that should be the title of this episode: uh, "Making God Your Partner" with Iris Ladowitz. I actually like that. Just popped into well, it. Doesn't sound too good on that one, you know. Why not? That's okay. Okay, listen, this is your, uh, you know. All right, we'll have to we'll have to discuss offline. Uh, definitely want you to be uh, cool with it. No, uh, no, no. I'm cool with whatever you decide. See, whatever you think is gonna, you know, this is your show. Partnership with God. Now, you told me before the show I should speak as if I'm just talking to you and it happens to be recorded. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> Those are the best. They are the best. Okay, so let's let's go on to Eastern Union. Um, how how did that come about? So it came about that um, you know in the, in the beginning, in the beginning, you know, as in the as in the brokerage space, and I had a specific view of how I wanted to the business to go in a certain direction, whose interests get represented, and um, I opened up in 97 about 25 years ago um and i'm sorry 2001 i started in 97 and um i opened up eastern union started with a partner um aside from god a human partner in the trenches um and you know thank god from there we started cold calling started hiring more brokers getting support staff growing the business and which the major siatishmaya we were able to break into an industry which people said is almost impossible to break into why should anybody switch their broker, your new company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I knew God runs the world and have God as a partner. So if he runs the world, he's my partner. I have an easier, you know, and you know, it was, it was a tough road. And um, I yeah, set back in 2006, 2007. And um, thank God with, with a lot of Seattle, I was able to build um, the company with the whole team to be the third most active brokerage firm in America, 10th in dollar amount, $5 billion in 2019. And we had the greatest team. And um, thank God for that, you know, getting to that point. And that was it. So we were talking. I spent up 20 years and like, you know. Yeah. And that's wow. You yeah. know, that went by fast. Yeah. Um, no, about two years ago or so, we were talking. You were telling me how you think because of COVID, the real estate industry is never going to be the same. Do you stand by that? 1,000%. And you know, read the papers. It's never the same. It's done. No, but to what extent? That's that's the question. To in what area? It's it's never gonna be the same. Commercial real estate and it's never, it's never gonna it's never gonna be the same. Because people are gonna work from home. 
not because someone could work from home is that um, the what, what allowed real estate to the valuations to go where they went was for the most part, certain people had certain pieces of information that others didn't have. Like you, certain people didn't realize where rents are going in a certain market. Locals may not have known about things. As interest rates dropped through the floor, people were values of real estate went up because you can make more money because the payments were less. Rents out of left field started skyrocketing. And during that time, people just made money like, like it was like mon minishamayim, just like falling down and raining, you know, that type of thing. And now rates went up, inflation kicked in. This is permanent. This is not like, oh, inflation is here, it's going to go. Inflation may stop growing, but inflation doesn't go backwards. So the, this is the prices. Might not keep rising. These are your rent. It's not going backwards. You can have a little dip, fine, but for the most part, nothing's going backwards. So this is a new world. So just to unclog the system, on paper, most people that own real estate today, unfortunately, on paper, real estate's down 30%. So that means someone who has a building he bought for $10 million, depending on what he bought, it was worth $10 million. Now we're at seven. So if he has a mortgage for seven, he has no equity. He's just carrying his mortgage, making his payments. He's living off the cash flow. Somebody who didn't have a mortgage or bought a building for $5 million worth 10 is fine. So right now, as we're going through this, it's a very, very tough time. And I'm realizing as, as we're talking to people and, and as this podcast is dropping at the beginning of January, going into 2022, people had a great beginning of the year, right? Things fell apart June, July, August. So what happened during this course of this year is that people still think, oh, it's going to pop back because that's what happened the last cycle. Like, you know, I call the Titanic syndrome. When the world thinks that God pegged, it's the end of it. Oh, can't get worse. Can't get better. Can't. All of a sudden, God shows, you know, who, the, who, who runs the show. So I think it's just a matter of everyone finally realizing this is it. We're here to stay. This is the new level of value. And it's going to slowly move up from here slowly. Everyone, so going into this, in, into the end of last year, going to 2022, the end of 2020, saying, I had a great year so far. No problem. Oh, pop back up in January, February. Welcome to January. What changed from the 731st of January 1st? Just a new calendar year changed. Like, how do you, oh, it's your 20th birthday, your 50th. How do you feel today? Same as yesterday. You know what I mean? That's the, so the same idea is really happening. This is the new world. And everybody now knows everything. With the advent of whether it's your parents, with other technology companies. These are, that, that's what the world is. Everyone knows everything. And these are the new rates. And you have to come to grips. This is the new reality. And this new reality is here to stay. So, how you have to adjust, everyone has to adjust to it. Because you have to, you have to pivot. You really have to. have to pivot. But unfortunately, certain industries disappeared in different times. So real estate's always going to be here, but not necessarily are people going to pay the same types of fees to do different types of transactions. You're not going to be able to buy a deal, you all cash again a year from now. You invest in real estate, everyone, your barber invested with you in a real estate deal because no one lost money in real estate. Now you're hearing about losses. Everyone starts pulling back slowly. Mm-hmm. Most of the, mm-hmm. when the real estate market when the stock market reaches what they perceive to be the bottom whatever that is no one's gonna invest in real estate because now it's at the bottom stock markets look amazing could only go up look at that runway you could go to real estate oh, you could buy a deal you get back your money in five years i'm not waiting five years i want real estate you, you, you quote a double lichtenstein right it's yeah. an illiquid asset you can't just sell it whenever you want the stock you decide to sell it you can't so there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle so it's a longer old school way so when you meet your people Generation above, I would say, let me tell you how real estate works. It's slow and patient. That's not how everyone made money the last few years. <laughs> Never going back to that. They're not accustomed to that. So that's the, the world is going to change accordingly. So, so he, in this context, you don't see like history will repeat itself type of thing? Yeah, what is, yeah, what is history will repeat itself? What does that mean to you? No, no, what does it mean? That, that there's a cycle. And here we're yeah. just in the next phase of the cycle. And then we're yeah. going to come back. So the question... 
you know, it's a fallacy to lie. It feels like it's going to come back. It's going to, there's a building worth $10 million. Will it one day be worth $10 million? Yes, without a doubt. The question is how long? If a $7 million deal takes 20, I'm using an extreme, which shouldn't take this long, but 20 years to get this 10 million, could have made a much better return going from 7 million to 10 million over 20 years. So of course it's going to come back. Is it going to pop back? Is everyone's thinking? Mm-hmm. How's it popping back? Rates are going down to 2%? Right. Rates are going to keep skyrocketing? That's not happening. So you have to come to the realization that the new world is the interest rates, the 10-year treasury will not go below 3% for the foreseeable future. That means interest rates that you borrow will be at five. Cap rates have to be seven. So at a point when the building starts making, yeah, rents are going to slowly keep moving up slowly. At a certain point, at that cap rate, it'll be worth more than $10 million. That means you bought a building today. But here's the bigger issue. Why should someone sell? Anyone you know that sold, sold. I bought a building for $10 million. Someone offered me 22 I sold. It was worth 10 Someone offered me 11 I sold. Are your building was worth 10 now it's worth $8. you are going to sell? No, I could carry it. People in trouble will sell. So the number of tra- the, the biggest issue is really, the biggest fear to the whole industry is the number of transactions that are going to slow drastically. So all people made money off transactions. That's the problem. The sales brokers, the mortgage brokers. That's why all these companies are laying off staff because the number of transactions are slowing. Mm-hmm. That's what's changing. And when people are, are doing a transaction, doing out of desperation sometimes, so there's no extra money floating around. That's, that's going to come back to normal. But what is the new normal? I think, look at it. To whatever production in 2018, 2019, that's the level. This extra bump to last year will go back to that level. But that means a lot of the firms have to, production is down. You know, to, talking to many of the companies, production is down 40 to 50% now. 50%. So somebody made so much money. 50% of millions is still less millions. But 50% of 300,000 is 150,000. And if you had a job working, you were the eighth support staff, and that business goes down, they only need five support staff. Those last three are gone. Plus, it's not that flowing that fast. You know, sometimes I'll take it slow. I'll do it myself. And it's not as complicated. You know, when people buy normal deals, they can do things themselves. When you're buying something crazy, you need a lot of help. Now they're going back to normal. Old school normal. So a lot of things are shaking up. And the reason why I think it's not coming back for the brokerage community is because data, technology, with the, the moves that that's why I went to Japanese. It's like I wanted to lead just the revolution. It was moving this direction. The world is changing. So you have to go right. with the change you right. want to get to. You, you took the next question out of my mouth and uh, we'll go right there. So how is explain to us how Japanese um, pivots yourself and, and is Really, you're saying Gparency didn't do this. The world was already there, and we're just meeting the needs. So how does Gparency meet those needs? What's special about Gparency? Is everyone going in that direction or just you? So I, I look at Gparency. My whole, my whole career, um, I always said that a Netflix will come into my industry. And I made a decision, if it, there will be a Netflix in my industry, it's going to be me. I'm not going to let someone Netflix me out of my business. It's not going to happen. I didn't stay in the business for 20 years, 25 years, keep my name straight, never do anything, you know, never do anything wrong and do, go above board, full transparency, and also to wake up one day and say this new tech startup took me out. That, I, that was my biggest fear and my biggest drive at the same moment. So I was always prepping Eastern of all the years to always have it move ahead of the curve in technology, collecting of data, doing a lot of different things, like have a sports stance. So when the market shifted, make that shift. And ultimately, the big shift really is, is that we are really, you know, and now people don't understand what it was about, except for the investors till now. But really what we built is a blend of Google Maps, Zillow for commercial real estate, this thing called LoopNet, which is a listing site, and Bloomberg Terminal all in one. We want our, our competition is Google Maps. When you hear about a real estate deal, you go to Google Maps. Instead, go to Japanese. Japanese 
helps gives all the tools to empower a commercial real estate owner to find and finance the next deal, but, but better than off-market deals. So we have, we're a subscription service, charge someone $5,000 a year, and we will tell you whatever you need to know to help you find and finance the next deal. There's no brokerage. So for $5,000, we have a team right now, as we speak here now, we have a team, it's a $5 million team that all they do is track properties for sale. They speak to brokers, they speak to sellers, they speak to the, the industry. We have a credits program like Waze, people share information with us. We're tracking tens of thousands of deals. We up, whispered updated listings and we update the price. And the minute the price matches what you're looking at, we send it to you. So take David Listing as an example. He used to tell me, came from some of these things. And, and I guess if wanted to invest originally, but eh, well, it's not for me. You know, sometimes it gives like two seconds on the, on the call. <laughs> yeah. His whole philosophy was the best deals are not the deals that hit the market off market. The best deals are when you date that broker and the guy changes his price and now he's ready to sell. You want to be there. That's the whole Japanese structures on that part. The Japanese structure is one piece of it is that this is what we do. We date it. And the minute it matches what your price, I send you an alert with the price, along with which bank to go to, rates, terms, and everything you need to know, overlaid on a Google map with all comps you could possibly need. And one stops up, $5,000 a year for your whole company. Wow. The brokerage side of this is if you don't want to go to the 32 lenders we recommend, you want us to go for you, the banking team will charge you $4,000, we'll shop it. If you want us to broker the deal to the closing, pay us a fixed fee of $11,000. That's the product. My main product is there's a million owners in America. And my, my, my father used to say when it rains and pours and don't go home on a training, the chef was here, don't go home. That was the line of the office. Bad day, just close down and go home. Set ourselves up for a Kaylee that to burn something to the side and say, you know something? This is the time. I have a product that can sell to a million owners, every owner in America. That's potential $5 billion in revenue. And they just cha-ching and just decide to sign up. There's nothing holding them back. Like Amazon, Jeff Bezos. If you own, if you own a home and you're not, a, you're not an Amazon Prime member, something's wrong with you, how can you be in commercial real estate, equitable access, and not be a $5,000 member. And at Hill yourself, someone comes to you, I want to break into real estate. My in-laws are giving me money. Where should they, what do you send them to? There's no one to send them to. There's a void. There's a million next steps. You know, come to your parents, they will give you whatever you need to know. And I'm not upselling anything to you. So you get the same information. This is what David Lichtenstein's of the world aren't so happy because I'm going to give them the same exact access that he might have a whole team acquisition team and a finance team. Whatever I have is open. You want me to make an introduction to the head of a bank? I'll make that for you. That's what your parents really is centralized it's, it's centralized it's standardized like people thought that the brokerage business is going to get marginalized this is the way they didn't understand it because i'm going to charge eleven thousand versus two hundred thousand. no that's not the difference the difference is that when an owner you go onto your parents' site you could try it for seven days just use it log in you type in any new york multifamily they'll tell you which bank and the banker with every last detail on that deal can you imagine talking to your broker and say, what are you sending this deal to? I'm sending it to banks one. What about banks number four? I, I know they do this rate, but where the heck do you know that information from? That Giving that transparency. So Lahavdil Elif Alfi Abdullahs is where I got the same ingrained from my father, right? What's the thing is that anyone wants to open up from a nothing and education, they could open up a, a Gemara, the Shanstein Talmud, could open up the Chumash, could open the Mishnah, all those things. So I couldn't make it there. Can I make it in, in the in the? In the I business love world? that. I love I want to revolutionize it. So that's the goal, revolutionize the commercial real estate space. So, so and it happens to be that, you know, in the eight different levels of tzedakah and charity, I think, I believe among the top, if not the number one, is to help someone with Parnassa because then they learn how to help themselves. You know, they, right. they become self-sufficient. That's the, so, so right now, we're actually hiring salespeople part-time, up to four hours a day, or full-time, eight hours a day. We we're guaranteeing year one. $50,000 for part-time if you want to do sales and $100,000 full-time with stock options. 
So, and you can try it. Tell people no non-competes, try it. You know, you want to try it for a couple of months, check it out, see what's going on. So anywhere remote, our office are based Zoom USA. No offices. Whoever you want to work, you got it. It's like a U.S. citizen. This really is a revolution. Yeah, so that's the, the, listen, you know, my drive is really like, you know, is that, you know, my father Zatel, had the line, the written word is forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to go with the line that tech, digital is for eternity, you know, technology is mm-hmm. for eternity. So the idea is really like I had this close to, after my father was nifted to track down Godavin and yes. partner them to automate the Godavin. That. It is. I, that. Yeah. I have a shit of app coming out soon. And I want to take all, like, if you think about in Cholesterol, you have all these, like, fa- fundraising campaigns. These are, they, they charge every organization money. Why can't one person build it for a few hundred thousand dollars and give it to every organization for free? You know what I mean? And why can't, like, Tom Cheshavis, how come there's no app for Tom Cheshavis? Because they don't have a budget for that. I want to build the technology app solutions, the back end solutions for Cholesterol. That's my, I pledged 80%, 80% of, after a certain threshold of my shares, of the dollar amount to try to give all these different types of ideas to uh, back. That's my drive. So my drive is if the chef is supposed to hit, I'm betting it all. If God decides this is it, it's it. And if he decides it's not, you know, yes, about my, the same sh- speech I give to guys leaving Yeshiva, you got to do your stylus. So I did a lot of research. What's a stylus to build a company that has the potential to be worth $10 billion? I have no idea. I asked the people that did it. And they told me the thing and I'm pull, pull it all out. If it doesn't work, I won't have no regrets. This is amazing. Wow. And it's being said right here on Kola. I love this. Um, I've heard of Chaimish 20%, but not in that direction. So this is really cool. You know, coming back to the line, sometimes you say, as my father used to say, some people are very stingy sometimes. Just yeah. Tell them, you can't, there's no U-Haul attached to a hearse. Interesting. What are you doing with the money? So if you're not spending your lifetime, like what are you doing with it? That's always like a big part. Like someone once said, he went to a shot, Rechaim Knesset, it sounds said, he just lost 40 million. Why did he have 40 million? Like that, you know, there's a line like, what does it mean? If you had that, mm-hmm. first of they give you the whole, so everyone has their, uh, you know, that, 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 that's what, uh, I listen, I hopefully I'm, I'm Zoyche to this and I could take it to the, I could take it to the end and I could have the skills to build, you know? For sure, for sure. So I want to ask you one more question um, in your uh, work life. And then let's uh, let's get to the goodies behind you. Um, the the way it works in life is always going to have ups and downs. And I like to think the bigger the person is, the bigger the you know the highs and bigger the lows, and you know so on and so forth. That's just the way it is. Um, and it's part of the beauty of growing is you know the bigger you get, um, things could be more extreme. So someone like yourself who started basically, you know, I don't want to say rags to riches, but you know, you, you started pretty uh, entry level and, you know, with the Chesav Kodesh Baruch Hu and, and your hard work, you got to a pretty high place. I'm sure within that process, there must've been some really hard moments. Talk to people, talk to us about what you recommend to people when they're going through those lows. How do you, how do you stay in the game? So I stay, I don't know, stay in the game. Uh, yeah. There are some very low moments that goes with it. That's uh, for sure. Um, I can't say for everybody, but I could, you know, for me, I had two major lows. Um, one is when I first opened. You don't realize the struggle to start a new business. You think, oh, I did it this, I can do it here. You don't realize, you know, if, you know, who you're going to irk along the way. And, you know, you don't realize different moves. You just go into it, you know. And it came to a point where I sold my, I was moving to Lakewood, lives in Brooklyn. And I sold, you know, I, I started writing a column 
the storyline, my storyline in Ami. So like really got really vulnerable there. And um, I sold at one point, I was supposed to move to Lakewood um, and I couldn't afford the construction while I kept the house in Brooklyn. I sold and I moved into Manlow's in the attic of Manlow's house. So that was like, that was, uh, you know, most loving people, but. Uh, humble, was, humble yeah. Uh, moments. Yeah. And um, then uh, during COVID, um, also ran into a, you know, at a certain point when there was a contingency of the office that felt that I should stick with one direction versus a different direction. Um, you know, you know, I always say it's like, you know, these are people take out of yeshiva and they have huge successes. And then they, you know, at that point, you know, they, they feel that the company should make a left turn versus a right turn or they should go straight. And I think I want to make a right turn. You know, now my father's taught me live, live it up, you know, have to think out for the future a little bit. Where's the wind blowing? Kids that live for the moment. Like I incorporated the 10, 10, 10 rule and pretty much they, uh, went together and said, if you're going to do a certain move at that time, we're going to leave. And unbeknown to me, while I was in Florida during COVID, they picked up. That that was the time I had a lot of business there because people said, oh my gosh, he'd lose his mind, let half his company leave. More than half walked out the door. And the Baruch runs the world. So, uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, that was, that really led us to the impetus to allow for, you know, you know, someone says, oh, you want to make a move sometimes, you have to take that risk. Sometimes when you're like, you're quasi, but I feel bad, you're with people, what should you do? But after that move became very clear, whoever stayed with the company, bought into the direction of the business plan, set me up. Then when I got a phone call out of left field from a venture capital that said, hey, we saw this other company that's going, becoming Netflix. We think you could also become, here, let's give you money. I was able to very pivot and take that opportunity and open up Japan. So when I look back, there's no regrets, but it took those those moments, those are tough moments. So the, the part for me, listen, it's, I was brought up Claire, Moon, and Betachen. That's my parents brought us up. Like, it's like, as if not second, it's not second nature, it's nature, you know, that way. But one of the things, you know, is, is, is dealing with it, talking about it. So it's not like I put on a show that, that that didn't really happen, put on a show. And yeah, I know I walked into shul and like, had people looking at you saying, did he make the mistake? Did he just walk away from his, like, what was he doing? He just hit the top and took that risk. And then, you know, and Baruch Hashem, you know, we hear where the market is today. Japarenty is set. We just hired 200 salespeople at Japarenty in the last 90 days. 200. We have room for another 200 to go to 400. So, the, you know, we course have a lot of bumps in the road. But, you know, at this point in time, you know, every clock is right twice a day. You know, every, you know, that's something like that, you know. So, it's the Shemaya. Hopefully, you know, the, the, the success continues. And I'll tell you an interesting thing is that at that point, you know, they said, like, you know, how could he change pricing in industry? Causing people to have sit in Parnassum. And I said, no, you'll do more business that way. So the debate. My father left in his tzava, very simple tzava, but one of the big things is he was found dust there. And he said, you have a question, go ask David Feinstein or David Cohn. And they said, how do you have the right to change? And I remember when I called him up, the question was, are there more real estate owners, i.e. the David Lichtensteins of the world, Ruby Shrones of the world, or are there more are there more brokers? Who's benefiting losing more? So why is it that you should protect the brokerage community versus the ownership community? Mm-hmm. Where are more people being affected? Right. Over here, clearly, I could affect more owners. And there are more owners that make the difference what's going on. So that also allowed me then, that's that I had the added confidence that if that's turned back, that's the business decision, then, you know, went all in with it. And, uh, you know, 
I know that, uh, you know, my father was nifter that, you know, by that time, beginning of COVID. And, uh, you know, to give a, a shout out on Jay Schottenstein, you know, I, I called him up at that time. I said, listen, here, there's a few people in this world that have the Schusser Batistar. Jay, Rabbi Sherman, my brother today took over, yeah. and my mom. And I, before I made that move, I got a bracha from all four. And not in the business, I had slacha making a move, take what's it called? And that uh, does tear this thing, and that was my, uh, and then, you know, whatever the work is, work day and night towards, that, you know, and it's, it's a major risk. And uh, I just would, I said to myself, in 10 years from now, and I look back, but I'd rather say I took that risk or I didn't take that risk. We'd have more regrets. And uh, hopefully uh, we get to look back and we do another podcast in two years from now and uh, Republic sure and sell out. And we talk about how we could change column in America with that kind of money and shares. Well, I don't know why we need to wait two years for that, but yeah, absolutely. The burners are going to decide it's next month, right? This month, Yeshua's Caravan. Kolal app. Kolal app, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to double click on that. Yuri um, Baim and, and Das Tire, because that, you know, the beauty of Das Tire, it's a little selfish for me to say this, but you know you're good. Like you go to sleep at mine, like it's on their shoulders. It's like when there's a hashkach on something, if it's trafe, they're going, they're going to get whooped for it, you know? So there is that peace of mind. Are you comfortable sharing um, who you speak to? Who do you gain guidance from? Not, not just, you know, professionally, but personally, who's, who's been a, a source of chizik and someone who's also guided you because you know, there are shilas that come up, you know, not just family shilas, but business shilas, like you just said. Can you talk about who you, you know, some of your relationships? Oh, I, I'll, I'll tell you the reason why, the reason why I don't, because um, what I found the shemesh that I got from my father is not so much who the person is, right? If I told you right now that I'm talking to someone, I say, "Wow, oh, Emma's like, yeah." If I had access to that person, of course I'd follow. But it's not do with that. It could be the local rub next door. It could be the the, the person I call. It could be different people, different levels, not a caliber. But it's more that. The consistency. If that's you following, don't uh-huh. say, oh, I need a Shiloh. Like, let me go to, like, let's say this joke. This guy dies, comes up to heaven and says, oh, you're going to tell him how Goes in, it's rickety. It's like raining inside, like drizzling in. Like, what is this? According to one sheet that this is Elam <laughs> Hava. So you can't pick and choose. And I also found a lot of times, and I live by this, and I could say it publicly here, is that there's no one that I know that has a claim against me for any money or any issue that asked me to sit down in front of a rove that I didn't sit down with. So it's not that, I think it's not so much having what my father says. Let it be known when there's an issue. And you said, I spoke to my, don't hide behind, I spoke to my rabbi. You know how those questions were asked. I met someone who moved to Las Vegas, okay? It's not my current employer. I met someone who moved to Las Vegas, and he tells me, I said, really, you moved to Las Vegas? Like, you rub, I know you're very close to your rabbi. Yeah, my rabbi blessed it, da-da-da. I'm the type, I want to ask the rabbi, can I call him? You know, so I call his Russia. I said, it's crazy. Get, whoa, the guy called and said, I'm moving to Vegas. Once I'm moving to Vegas, how should we be mechanic my kids? That's like called asking to go to Vegas, you know? So that's the bigger part is I think it's more, it's more consistency and transparency. No, that's great. It, it, it's, like, it, it's like, it's like if, if, if I would get into an issue with you and I'd say, the reason I'm doing this, my rabbi told me. I'm going to either tell you the rabbi's name or I'm going to find a mutual person that we both trust that I'll tell because the rabbi wants to keep it secret, but he'll confirm the story on your behalf. It's not going to be like my rabbi. So there's no like, I've, these people fake hide behind the rabbi. They said, let's go to rabbi. Let's talk to him. I said, are you willing to follow? He says also, no, 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 no. Because it, it's like a one-sided type of deal. You know, like if they get their way, they'll like, they want to force you to do. Th- that's the part I learned. So it's more importantly, have a, have a rough that's respected this thing. And like, you know, that's like to my father, when I had built a cash with certain people, 
And like, it's the tip of the tongue I want to say, it, but that's why I want to hold it back. It's not like you could call it. It's it's, it's like it shouldn't be defined. Oh, because that's who I talk to, or that's who he talks to. Is that my father? At times, you know, wanted to speak to him also, just like to be able to give me his opinion. Say, by the way, yeah, when it comes to these shilas, you're in good hands for this. But try for this to try to find. And that was really that guidance that was set up, and be consistent in what you know. Uh, no, I love the consistency you uh, referenced before of David Cohn, who said uh, he was interviewed on the. On on headlines again, we're we're going heavy on on Rav David this uh, this show, yeah. yeah uh, but uh, sponsored by Lightstone, um, yeah. yeah you know, uh, he was uh, Rav David Cohn was on headlines and he was asked while during Ebola or Zika, whatever one of those viruses about a woman who's pregnant can they abort the baby? You know, given um, you know the different conditions that could you know could evolve and complications, etc. And I, I love what his hakdama was. You know, the his introduction. Um, the actual answer, you know, I'm not going to get into it. It's a pretty hot topic. But his introduction, I think, is the real takeaway, which is what you're saying. Um, he said that there are Talmide Beishelo, students of <coughs> Talmide Beishamai, the students of Beishamai. Rabbi Sorel Salanter said the students of Beishamai get the same reward as the students of Beishelo because they were consistent with their Revi. So even though we Paskin like Beishelo, the students of Beishami get the same schar, the same reward. They're viewed in the same because they were consistent with their Rebbe. The question that 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 I always, you know, so how, how do you know which Rebbe to pick? So obviously there's, you know, yeah, it has to resonate and it has to, um, you have to feel that it's not out of convenience, like he's Rabbi, um, you know, Rabbi lenient, you know. But it, there has to be a real Kesher Shel Kayama, a real um, legitimate connection that, you know, that is there. Um, I do want to ask you one last question before we go, we go to our next segment. And that is, you say that, you know, Emunah and Betachan, those are, you know, big things. Um, here's, here's my, you know, personal files with what I have with Emunah and Betachan is we also live in the world of Heshtadlis. So I'm always like second guessing myself. Well, maybe my hashtadlis was off. So like, who am I to say I should, oh have a muna have be talking? <laughs> yeah, you you know you asked for it. So how do you, if you don't mind sharing yourself, how do you know to have a muna? How to, you know to have be and not let that background noise like you know get in the way that you're focused on? You know this is really Hashem, and it's not an easy thing to do. But you know what are some of your I guess techniques or guiding principles? To know how to stay focused, this is from the Avishta. To say this from the Avishta, meaning because I work hard and then I get successes in the Avishta, or you go I... through those hard moments. You mentioned two times in your life. So how do you know you? Well, I caused the problem. I, I, I you know, I set myself up to be, uh, you know, to get this. You On know, the same people... token, if I, if you're consistent, when I'm seeing success, I'm not saying it's me. It's the same Hashem, good or bad. It's not that. In other words, right? If if when 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 you know. It admits a shame that your parents he turns into this $10 billion exit we're discussing and everyone's cashing out and seductors are going to be crazy from these things. I'm not going into that saying, okay, it was me because I worked this hard. So that's also from Hashem. I just do my shtadlis. Yeah, but, but he, he's saying he, that. Yeah, but, but, my question is when you make a decision to, um, let's say, um, start a new initiative or whatever it is that has a lot of stress, well, who said you should have made that decision? Then come on to needing Hashem, so to speak. So, but it, so then it goes back to the same thing I said before. So the 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 two pieces of the pie is one is at the end of the day I'm going to get that you know get that rabbi buying the rabbi blessing once I have that plan, and I'm not going to ask the plan to say I'm doing it. Can I have a blessing? 
It's like, this is what I want to do. Do you agree? Does it make sense? And then if yes, can I have a bracha? It's double question. It's not a one question. I'm doing it. Bless me. And then I tell people, oh, he blessed it. No, he blessed it once he's doing it anyway. He gave me the best possible blessing. But I don't know what you're thinking because there's only a, a, a small little blessing available for such a thing, you know? That's number one. But I think on the other side of it is that the on the business side, that what is, you know, I'll give you a little bit of interesting perspectives that when I opened up the office in Lakewood for the first time and I, all, people started walking in the door and saying is, I know the proper, if the Burnham wants to be successful, I could make a million dollars. I don't need a million dollars. So I know people make a million dollars a year. I'll only work Bana Starm and I'll still make 200,000. That's all I need to live. Or I'll work only first say there. I'll work second say there. And it's like, what are you guys thinking? I, I want to have a say in the morning. I'll start my day at 10. It doesn't have to start at 8.30. Who said I had to start at 8.30? Plenty of people. I have all these discussions. I said, wow, what am I going to do over here? So I actually met each of these people's Roshiva. And I remember like Shmuel Kamenetsky told me the line, which basically every Roshiva said the same thing. A Rosh Hashiva could decide with his Talmud how many hours a day he should work and how many hours he should learn. And that's chus, have hatzlacha. You will find the success. But he has to then find a job where someone earning those hours makes that money. Right. Like, you know, you can't decide I'm going to become a fireman. I'm going to become the, I'm the best police um, um, investigator, detective, and I'm, I'm going to wear shorts and a t-shirt. It doesn't work. You want to wear shorts and a t-shirt. You're not getting, you're not getting a job in the police department. It doesn't work. You have to, there's a certain things you got to do. You can't become a lawyer working two hours in the afternoon. So for the same token, my starting point is I told people, this is my business. And every move that I ever made, I spoke to many business people first, aside from my own, Maybe I'm, I have I have negis, I have ulterior motives, my own self, and I might see it. But what do business outside business people say? And take the calculated risk of people that know me and someone I want to drive. And what's also more important? What I learned a lot of times is that I meet people, and my early career I used to like meet people. So listen, what are you doing? Why don't you work a little extra? You know, it's going to cost you to support a family. But they didn't have they have a different aspiration in life. I met people who could have made millions that were happy making a few hundred thousand. I couldn't I couldn't relate to it. Your brother was willing to give it, but that's not what he set with his wife what he wanted out of his life. So it's more like, this is what I want to accomplish. So for the amount of money that I need to live today, and what I want to get to, is the risk worth it? So I know I could go through certain things. I took the calculated risk. I knew the bet, the thing. Then I asked Duster. I got the bracha of what's it called, and then I went with it. But before I started, I drew a line in the sand. Mm-hmm. I said, these are the people I'm asking. And as long as I get a majority vote in this direction, and then I did it. So it's not like I kept moving the needle along the way. Like I take people in sales. Should I leave my job? Do me a favor, how much business, how much money do you think you're going to make in four months from now? Is there any reason you're making less than that number? Oh, yeah, maybe. So what? Okay, what's the black, bottom line? So if you don't make this number, you're going to leave the business? Put a number in there. And if I make above this, I stay. Below this, I leave. You have to put that to a finite type of number. So you have a protocol. You have a procedure. The procedure. Yeah, you're not going with like guts and instincts. No, I, I, got, I start with guts and instincts. But before I make that move... I, I, you know, you, you know, you have that one friend that always like jabs you. Like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Why, why? I call that guy, and I run up by him. And I say, can I have a normal conversation? I run up by that. And it's, I, those types of conversations I have. So I see the other side. Then I bring it back, and I get. And then also sometimes you have to see people in a, have ulterior motives. Some mm-hmm. people in my industry don't want me to make a certain move to Japanese, right? Because like you know, a banker told me look, I, I had a few clicking points when I when I finally made the move to, to move the path and take that risk. A banker called me up one day and said, Ira, what would your competitor have to do that would put you out of business? And while I'm thinking, he goes, how come you don't do it? And I realized there's so many companies could have done what your parents are doing. Now, logically at that time, 
the only people who could have done it to other companies like Blockbuster. Blockbuster could put Netflix out of business. But were they going to risk a billion dollars of revenue, whatever the revenue was, for this new company that has 30 million revenue, might get to 50? But before they knew it, it was too late. So, but when I realized that this venture capital money giving tech startups the ability to just, they'll poach a few brokers in different companies and build it, that's my competition. I said, if I don't do it, I'm out of business. So I look at this market and see out the now, the Jeparency should be able to logically thrive in this market. And the brokerage business is slow all over the place right now. And there's new space. So, and then I look, it looked crazy, but I was speaking to people. I could, it could have been wrong. And it still could be wrong. It's not over. It did the move. The movies we're in the middle of the movie. It may look good today. Now, like how the base is loaded, and you know it looks like you're taking the lead, but it could have gone the other way around. You know, sixth inning, sixth inning. Yeah, sixth inning, right? Sixth. A lot, a lot, a lot could still happen between the sixth and the ninth. You know. But are you are you are you happy? Are you thrilled with how G Parency is doing? I am. I thank the Runners Loan daily. I could not have been like any projection put down on paper where we should be at this point. It couldn't have been. And what we're doing it with, where we, we, we were talking to people for valuations, you know, a couple months ago, do a raise. A year in was worth more than Eastern was worth in its heyday. But it's on paper. But if it doesn't take to the end of the movie, the sixth inning is still flop, right? You see these cost stocks go up and down. So where it's at now, and I'm looking at the future in this new world, whatever scenario you tell me, the market's going to get worse. So people need data better. The market's going to get better. They can afford more data sources. But whatever way you look at it, position right now looks very good. But this is why the investors invested a year ago to the business. They, they saw the same future, the same potential, and they said, let's take the ride with it. But things could go sour. But I said, where would I rather be if God forbid it doesn't work out? Regret it when someone else does it? I should, you know, I mean, all these people, oh, I was in my business. Meet this old man who tells you, oh, I was in a business. Remember that company started? I could have done that. I'd rather be the other way around. I tried it, and it didn't work. Oh, pivot, you know. That Excellent. Type of, uh, Excellent. So can you just give us a couple quick um, stats, a couple quick numbers about Gparency for those who are not familiar, not in this industry, but maybe are getting into the industry, what they should know about it. Uh, feel free to throw a plug for yourself. Yeah, that's, I, I said I appreciate the I appreciate the, the the plugging opportunity. So I really give so if people are listening to the thing the, this this chat really with my heart and soul is to be able to go give back. So I'll I'll put out there my cell phone number. I respond. I read every WhatsApp, every text, every email. Every LinkedIn post before I go to sleep, LinkedIn message before I go to sleep. I can't if I I can't say I respond to everyone if I'm not, there's nothing to respond to, but I've seen it. Is um, 917-597-2197. My passion is to help people that you know help them grow their business and, and to help them be and and preferably people that are going to use that extra money to give back and, and pay it forward. That's really my passion is. And that's what allows me to parency. I get to wake up every day and help owners, help new people want to break into real estate for five thousand dollars, I'll give you whatever you need to know help some real estate tycoon save a ton of money and get the same 5,000. I get to hire new people, give them a pronouncement, give them a job in the hundreds now and stock options. If singles public, we all join it together. So we want to go ahead and take that business. So for me, I'm like living the dream every minute I'm helping people and every level. So when I was just doing mortgages and my pitch was I could do your mortgage for cheaper. I was helping a lot of people, but still other people were being rattled today. I'm not, I have no competition. For $5,000, i will help you find every deal. I'll tell you which banks. And then take my information and go to your broker. So you can still grow that business the direction you want to go. And we have a market. It's, you know, if the chef is here, you can go hit the, you know, the million from there. So someone wants to break into real estate, it's called equitable access. You have $5,000, let's be first stop. And direct access to whatever I could help you with. If I could help somebody, I'm going to go help them. And I'm, I put into a digital technology to go ahead and, uh, and get it going. So Amazing. it's... Uh, 
I want to, I want to just end with one powerful thing as I'm listening to this, like to, to come off the right, um, you know, talking about so many things in perspective. And I think you'll appreciate this because, you know, from my father's cell and, uh, and the line used to say, you know, people ask the question a lot of times, if you could go back in time, who would you like to spend lunch with? Who'd you like to go out to eat with? Who'd you like to talk to? Who'd like to meet? My father's answer was the Chafetz Chaim. That was his role model. And he used to say that the story over that the Chafetz Chaim's son overheard his father, Davani. And he said, Rabbi Shalem, let's make a deal. What did you do for me? What did I do for you? You let me write the Mishnah Brewer and he listed all the Sfarim that he, that he let him write. What did I do for you? Nothing. Let me do something for you. Kalal Yisrael, a lot of people today have a flip. What do you mean? I give tzedakahs? I give this? No, it's also in Baruch Hashanah. Kalal used to say, he's just to tell us as a family, just remember. You have a schuss of about to start in the family, there's a lot of its family. But at any minute, Baruch Hashanah would say, there's a lot of its step aside. Habat start is going to blink. And that's really, what, that's what keeps me the holding on to this what's it called. Don't let it get to my head. Don't let it get to anything. At any minute, it could all leave it. I experienced a couple of times in life where that was that brinkmanship was out there and it was looking forward, it didn't look bright at all. And the Baruch is there to help out. And then my father, someone said, tell my father, he's so generous, they told my father. And he said, my father turned around, my father told him, no, I just remember what it was like when I was poor. Yes, that was that made it to the biography. And I think someone said that at your father's Levaya. Um, we, we have to be thankful every day because Hashem could pick someone else um, right. the other day. And, I, and if, and, um, if we could just spend the last few minutes talking about your father. So the first time I met your father as a tzal is um, I was a um, little boy in Camp Monk, not such a little boy, actually. Um, I returned from the mirror in Eretzel, learned I had a great year by Rabbi Elephant, back and came back to Lakewood. Um, in the summer, I met the world's best first baseman uh, named Gedalia Zlatowicz, and uh, <laughs> who, who, who he refused uh, me to call him rabbi he was just gedalia but uh, that's how humble he is and it turns out someone you know suggested um you know my wife uh now my you know my now wife uh but then wasn't right and um i see on the she's working at art scroll so of course you know i'm like okay let me call gedalia um i call gedalia and he said um oh my father actually likes her <laughs> That's what he said. And that's not always the case. So um, Gadal gave me really that, uh, that information. And then your father, lo and behold, he shows up to Camp Monk on a Friday afternoon. I see him and Rebdova Cohen, you know, they're hanging out in the, in the little circle over there as if they were still in camp, you know. But um, and then uh, Gadal introduced me to your father. And I, and I saw right then and there, there was a certain chain. There was a certain um, gentleness um, that, that literally just... Um, merely glancing at your father, you felt right inside. Um, I know it's like one of those things that you grow up in the house, so you take it for granted, but I hear you talk about your father. Sounds like you don't take it uh, for granted. Um, tell, if you could tell us, let's, let's rewind the clock, uh, 30, 40, 50 years. You grew up with Art Scroll, right? Six months after I was born, my father. Six months one after you're born. So talk yeah. about. Can you talk to us about? I know from from your side of the table, what was it like watching your father go through this incredible journey? So obviously, it's like with a lot of things, you like people can't fathom the difficulties of of what it you know of of what it took to to make such a project take off. How many people buy Jewish books? Right, especially now, big more things online. People used to think that, wow, this art school is a big company, sell millions of copies of books and whatever. 
I said, if it sold millions of copies, I never would have went into the mortgage business. I would have been there. <laughs> so um, I, and then also when he had to have ideas for projects, just had that conviction and with Das Torah behind him, he went for it. And that was before Masara Heritage Foundation was able to, right. someone came to this right. idea that it's a way to fund these types of projects or else it's never taken off the ground. So we were brought up when my father, I woke up to my father always sitting behind his desk. He was writing, translated, you know, you know, Chumash Bracious at that time. And that's why I was brought up and watching it every morning, um, you know, coming down. Like there was never a time I came down. My father wasn't uh, there writing, translating. And um, the, the, you know, you, you're seeing him major struggles because there's, there's no market for that. And he also gave up a business. He gave up a business to go into the club. I gave up a business one way to go to a different business one way. He gave up a business to go into a publishing company, which never made no logic sense at all. And, um, you know, you watch it take off. And, and aside from the money issues, you have the issues when he comes out with, uh, with the Gemara, where at that time, when something is new in the world, um, then, like, you know, you can't imagine today that the Gedolim were against it. Like, he has stories like, they've got, but what do you mean? That, and my father agreed with them. He agreed that it wasn't meant for Ben Tyre to use it. He was just saying is like there's so many other people that you could open the world to, or the people that were had struggles but shouldn't affect shouldn't. And he, he agreed to them. That was like the interesting, you know, dynamic of the whole, you know, the whole part. And different times, like you saw real struggles going through. So he never lived through those glorious days. Like we came, you know, a couple months ago to the Siam on on Yushalmi. He never lived to see that Siam. So for him, it was just the struggles. When he was Nifter, he had a tough time getting a dedication for a Yershami volume. So he only saw the struggles. You know, I remember, now it's going real emotional here, is that I remember my father's, you know, he was in the hospital and we thought he was coming out that week. And I remember one point while I was there in the hospital, you know, I was very close to my father. Well, everyone, you know, my father's very nurturing. My father and mother bros are very nurturing. It's like how you like, you believe you could do anything, you know, the type of thing and how you're doing and, you know, believing in you and things like that. But also the reality check, my father's reality check, like, you sure you could do that? You know, but, you know, the nurturing type. And I was very close. I spoke to him a couple of times a day, you know, because of the nature of my business, I was able to coordinate trips, do business in Israel, same time he was going and spent a lot of time together. So I remember asking him, because it was like, you know, train on the long-term vision. Like if he came out of the hospital, what is he going to do with his life for the next 30 years? Right. At that point, he did, you shall me. Bavli Yerushalmi, what's next? So Gedali is doing amazing at Art School today, and it's still coming out with products. But you know, you know when when you when you take Yesh Mayayin, right? Yeah, the iPad. When you take it's your parents are sponsored. When you take exactly. Yesh, when you take Yesh Mayayin, and you go Chumash, Siddur, Mishnayis, Yerushalmi, and the app was built started then. What can you do? And he's struggling because like the world didn't see, like he was going through that struggle. He's still remembering, you know, you have PTSD. You remember your struggles, right? Mm-hmm. And like that was for him. So I was like, to a certain, I remember also, on, but before that, I remember asking like, at what point did he like, that's when he told me the Chafetz Chaim stories. And this, at what point did he realize, step back and say, you know this thing called the art school everyone's talking about? That's you. And when you, you don't realize, like one thing to stop, step, step back and look at it. So that's what we brought up. We brought up where we, we weren't brought up with money. We used to get hand-me-downs. We had one neighbor, Sephardic family, Syrian family, very wealthy. That was our hand-me-downs. Like we, we were brought up in what's it called? Simpleton life. That was our, our upbringing. But more importantly is that whenever he had, it was, it was to give to the next person and teach us that it's not about getting a name somewhere, giving money to family where you don't get, we only get demand and expectations 
and there's no like you know it's the opposite way you know it's easier to give a check to you know I had to train certain people in my office I had to give checks to the family back the Rambam made you successful I told him in your family because you're supposed to support because my brother thinks that he should I should pay for his kids bar mitzvah because you should like but some of the tell it to him because he's not getting a, a plaque instead of his brother even thanking him it's like you only give me ten grand you're not giving me a full fifteen hundred so like we were trained this is how we that was upbringing. The money Hashem gives you is to is to pay it forward in every opportunity that you have and live the life that way. So it was that dynamic, and yet he was normal, right? He's a regular businessman. He went on vacations once a year. Rav Feinstein's that's how the, the couple of my parents then like it was like a whole and that was the dynamic he used to take. It was almost interesting to go on a vacation with your best friend who was the place together. Like it was that that dynamic. My father had arthritis, and he would run open the door for him. And that my father for you know, but again, I took trips to Israel and told people like I went into Baba David. Put my father for the first time to Baba David, 2006, 2007. And he stood up for my father. You're talking about, so you have, I see those visions. We went to Shimon Galai, came to Shimon Galai once. And I was with Yakim Shacht. I brought my father, like those are the years when you went on the Gadol tour. My father was anti it, but okay, for his son, he'll do me a favor, you know, that type of thing, you know. So I um, I remember Shimon Galai who went on a trip with Yona Jaffa, Jack Jaffa. My, uh, Michael Jaffa went on a trip that time. My father had the same time, happened to have been there that time. And we went to Shemagalai. Shemagalai heard that my father was downstairs because I thought I was going to come up. And there, Shemagalai went downstairs to meet him. Because how could he come? And I'm thinking to myself that, like, my father, I knew it'd be somebody. My father tried to call my father. He got out. He was, you can't imagine my father turning colors. You coming down for me? Like, it was like, but again, you talk about the schluss in there. My father, for one thing, in the Tzavah for his kids, he wants one son to be there at least. I was cover every year. My father used to go for his parents' yard time. During COVID, I had this close to go to You know, we have no idea how we got in, how we got out that same night. We actually know that's when they were doing all the things after quarantine. It was before quarantine started, June of that year. And and we came to the airport. And on the way out of the airport, I remember we went on the wrong line. We still think we were sitting, me and Gadali on the plane, on the way back, thinking to ourselves, that, um, oh my gosh, like they can still pull us off the plane now. Like you're not supposed to leave the country. It was before they set these things up. We, our name was on the other list. We went to this wrong security line at a wrong airport, airline, and we got out of the country and we, we what to call, we have no idea how we got in. And that was the only thing he said. And, um, you know, so it's, uh, to us, it's like every year we went, to the supposed to go, and uh, one of us, and that was the only thing he really cared about. And he, very little he asked of us. So I said, if that's what he asked of us, he didn't ask us to do, learn, do good. That's one thing I tell you that I'll figure out how to get there every year if we have to, uh, you know. So Shai Groucher was a shliach then at that time to help us out. It was a big help. And we have no way. He tells, he, tell, he goes, I have no idea. Told me, me and Gadai, I have no idea how I got you in. No idea. My cool people, it's for art scroll. This is Tzavoy wants it. And I opened up from the Shantanstein. Gemara of it. He has no idea. Till today, he has no idea how he did it. People call him, could he get me in? He doesn't have it. He still doesn't know how he got work. It sounds, so, like so. He, it sounds like he may got his partner as well. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, he's a good man. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's, uh, these are this is so you brought up with to me is that he was dead, right? That's the you know to everyone else like you know he's uh he was larger than life, and I was I I said I was to realize he was larger than life and having that person while he's alive. So he asked me the question before. It was much tougher for me after my father's nifter, because my father's alive. It's very easy. I was able to talk to my father. And for, he was able to guide right there. So he wasn't there. That was the, so that was, so in the last five years, it was a tougher adjustment for me to have to find that Rebbe at the different level of Rebbe or, or, or Rav or Paisic or questions because 
know, you get that information. You know, that's uh, that's that uh, that's that type of thing. I tell you that. Uh, but my father used to also say, it's like it's also tough in the next generation, right? Because my father saw Gedolim at a whole different level. And you think like, but think about it, your kids only know the current Gedolim, and that's who they're supposed to be in Shamash to. My father's very good at telling, teaching us that next generation to go there. You know, like you know, your son, who's you have a son who's five years old, when he thinks about Rabbi Zlatovitz, that Rabbi Zlatovitz is Gedali Zlatovitz. It's not Rabbi Meir's lot of it. So it's, it's the legacy continues. And Gadali is doing amazing, continuing on and, and growing it. He didn't just like, you know, I remember his nephew was telling me, could your brother do it? It's going to fall apart. It's this. Baruch Hashem didn't fall apart. He didn't maintain it. He grew it. You know what I mean? And it was so, smooth. And it was smooth. You know, 100%. It's a schluss my father's The transition, the family is one unit, all one unit behind him and supportive of him, and the whole extended as, 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 as well. So you look at it and say to yourself, like, this, this, this next generation has to continue. That was, that was so important to my father. This thing should continue. Because when, you know, he did the Yerushalmi, and we said it was his biggest legacy to Yerushalmi. The guy could question other legacies that may be bigger. But he told me that when he did it, he made the move to do it. He said never before in Kalah was there that kind of money available to do a project, an assemblage of G'daylam to do it, with the vehicle to get it put together. So how could he shut down the Shas at that point and shut down the Kolo that, that's really what Art Scroll is. It's a colo. Colo without walls. Colo without walls. a $9 million budget of a colo. And the work they do is is the is the is all the projects they're working on. And that's what Gadali was able to continue. You know, people think Gadali is easy street. He got Art Scroll. Yeah. He had he became a fundraiser, nine million dollars run around the world to go ahead and be a fundraiser. And uh that's what he has to go ahead and 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 deal with it. So uh doing some incredible yeah. job I, I i was like i told you at the uh at the event i'm just looking around and all the, you know all the different pr that they had for the urshami it's just like i had this moment like holy smokes how does he do it, uh, it like y- you can't do anything in life without seeing something art scroll like you know i we travel first of all you know yashikaya i use this uh, ipad diet coke and art scroll what wherever you go there's diet coke and art scroll diet coke and art scroll yeah and and just to see like wow you know it's just you know it's 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 something surreal it's it's unbelievable so you've been very generous with your time it's i a- want to just tell you just we, the reason the only reason why i have to stop right now so you can keep your words because when you start it's the last time i'm here for an hour and a half you know what the, but those are the best conversations really they they and and, and, and thank you we really covered i'm just trying to think to, from the beginning all the advice that you give to people in your industry, how you change industry, how you made Hashem your partner and your father's legacy. This is a, a lot of teich and a lot of tachlis, as we would say. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a schluss for me that you uh, gave up your precious time for this, but also like to continue, you know, there's this relationship between the Zlotowitzes in our community that Jay and Jeannie and, 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 you know, and their family are, are, uh, are really continuing to see, you know, Joey and Lindsay with the, uh, the kids Parsha books, that Jacob thought of. I use them with my son. Um, they're incredible. Those yep. Parsha books. Amazing. amazing. Um, so to have our community continue this relationship with the Zlatowitz family, not it was not before my, you know we moved here. My wife was working for your father, but Rabbi Morris, the Roshkail, who worked for your father on the original, I think Erevin. I think. I think. So it's a pleasure for us to continue that relationship. And uh, my bracha to you is may this. Um, Ubichanuni na bezais continue. Yeah, continue to be Hashem's partner, and uh, may it go both ways. But really, continue thank to help. Thank you, uh, thank you for yourself. this class, and keep doing the amazing things you do with the call there. Thank, thank you, Kaltov. Kaltov.